You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Asbury. Happy Wednesday. How are y'all doing? We love the energy on this rainy day. Um, Well, we have a great chapel ahead of us. We'll be hearing from Dr. Brown, um, I believe as part of our Love in Action series. So hang in there. It's going to be a great day. Um, But before we jump into worship, I'm going to do our call to worship, which comes from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Asbury, will you pray with me? Jesus, we just thank you that we get to be here today in the midst of rain um, and maybe some tiredness, God, that we get to be here to worship you. Lord, will you just come and will you just speak to our hearts um, and bring a new wind and energy to us this morning, Jesus? Lord, we pray for Dr. Brown as he comes and brings your word. Will you just empower him in your spirit, God, to speak your truth? Um, And will you open our hearts to receive your word that they won't just be words, but they will actually be something we put into practice, Jesus? Lord, I pray for the students in this room as they head through today. God, will you just bring them peace and joy and calm their worries and burdens? Lord, we're grateful that we are over halfway through the semester. So will you just help us make each day count as we walk through each day with great intention? Jesus, just open our ears and our minds and our hearts to your word. And make it something meaningful that transforms us today, Jesus. Lord, we know you are good, and we know that you are the almighty, all-powerful God. So, Lord, come and do what only you can do today. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1 through verse 8. Hear now what the Lord has to say to us today. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Hear this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. 
Happy Wednesday. If there are visitors here today, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being at Asbury. You're always, you're always welcome here. And students, I want to say to you, uh, I, I, I'm aware of what time of year it is. Uh, this morning I was leaving the house and I, I just looked at our dog and, you know, he's just on the carpet, passed out, and I'm like, yeah, that. Um, that, looks, that looks nice. So uh, it's rainy out. It's almost April. Uh, we, we start this crazy period of time between spring break and the end of the semester. Some really, really good stuff is coming, but I know it's a lot. So thank you for being here, and uh, thank you for giving me your attention. And I want to start by telling a story, something I've heard for a long time and have always been intrigued by. There's an interview in the early 80s by a guy named Mike Wallace, very famous interviewer with 60 Minutes. And actually, the, the title of this interview was, The Devil is a Gentleman. And he was interviewing a, a Holocaust survivor, Auschwitz survivor, named Yehiel Denur. And Denur was a part of the Eichmann trials, and he was a part of the prosecution and had to testify against Eichmann, uh, the, this henchman mastermind behind the, the genocidal deaths of millions of Jews. And famously, during this trial, Eichmann passes out. He faints. And Wallace, in the interview, decades later, was talking to him about this, and he made this incredible statement. Denier says, when I saw Eichmann, I realized he was just a man, just like me. There was really no difference I was capable of the very thing that he did, and I collapsed because I saw my reflection in him. And then famously, at the end of that interview, Mike Wallace suggested that Eichmann may be in all of us. Now, I share this story, I, I think that that was a very radical idea, and we're still talking about that, that interview decades later, but Christians actually seem to have a pretty intuitive understanding of this story because we believe we're sinful. We believe that there is something inside of us that will kill us. We believe that we all have the capacity for evil action, and we believe that we need God's grace, right? The all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And many religions share a, a kind of notion that we may be insufficient in ourselves, welcoming a transcendent dimension. And you may have heard the common refrain, all religions are basically the same. But I love what Tim Keller says to that. He said, if you think all religions are the same, you're not listening. <laughs> you're a bad listener, he says. Christianity is distinct in many ways, but one of the ways it's distinct, one of the, the scandals, if you will, is this idea of grace, that we are recipients, we are given something we do not deserve. We did not earn it. It's an unmerited gift. This is the definition of grace. And it's assumed that we passively receive grace. And that's correct, but it doesn't mean that it's disassociated from action. So that, that's what I want to take just a few 
moments this morning and talk to you about so we can consider this together. This theme we've talked about is love in action. And I want to submit to you that there's very much an action-oriented dimension to this distinct Christian idea of grace. And not only is it something that we receive, but it's something that transforms us, and therefore it's associated with action. So let me talk about just a few areas where this shows up. The first one is grace is not arbitrary. It's not just this arbitrary thing. And a great verse expressing this is in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And remember, Paul says, do you, he's talking about someone that is very judgmental and, and quick to action. And Paul says, do you despise the riches of God's kindness and his forbearance and his patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Don't you realize that when God is being kind to you, that there's an outcome associated with that, and that is your repentance? So first of all, notice that grace is associated with God's kindness. And it reminds me of this incredible story in Matthew 20. Remember the laborers in the vineyard, and the master goes out, and the master is recruiting people to work in the vineyard throughout the day. And some come in that very early hour, and some come when there's only one hour left. And it says there that the master says, you will be paid what is right. I'll be, you will be paid the right wage. And so some work the entire day, and some just work an hour. But remember, at the end of the workday, they're all paid what? One denarius. They're all paid the same amount of money. And so, naturally, some of those workers grumble, like, hey, I worked all day. This person worked an hour. You're paying us the same. And it ends with this. The landowner, the master says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Are you, envy are you upset because I'm kind? So notice that grace is associated with God's kindness. But second, note that God's kindness has a purpose, and that purpose is repentance. Literally, the idea is to turn from what you're presently engaged in and go toward God, to walk the other way toward God. And there are so many verses on repentance, and specifically Christ talking about repentance, we see this in, in Matthew right at the very beginning of his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One of the first things the ministry Jesus is saying. And you might say that, that repentance is a kind of letting go. And I, I actually really like this imagery. It's something we let go of so that we can hold on to something else. It's something that we're turning away from so we can walk toward something else. When the, the Lord of the Rings movies came out in the early 2000s, super popular. And I remember meeting a missionary couple from New Zealand, and that's, of course, where those movies were filmed. And I said, hey, what, what has this series done for you in New Zealand? And they said, oh, man, it's, it's been amazing. They said, I can start any conversation with this. Talk about the movie. What do you think of Lord of the Rings? And then he said, but then I can always say, yeah, what is that thing in your life that if you don't let go of it, 
it will kill you. He said, we always get an answer. What's that thing that if you don't let go of it, it will kill you? Hannah Whittall Smith says, I never try to hold on to anything so tight that if God were to take it from me, it would hurt my hands. I never hold on to anything so tightly that if God were to take it from me, it would hurt. That reminds me of the Rock of Ages song, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. His kindness is so that we will let go of something that is keeping us from holding on to him. And if I'm clinging to the cross, I can't hold very tightly to other things. I just read this quote recently from Caitlin Beatty. She said, the whole apparatus of the church exists to make us holy, to make us little Christs. This is the point of discipleship. This is the point of God's kindness. This is the point of repentance. C.S. Lewis said something very similar. This is the trajectory. So first and foremost, grace is not arbitrary. It's an expression of God's kindness. God's kindness is meant for you and I to let go so that we can hold on to God. Second, grace is power. Grace is power. John Wesley affirmed that you and I are pardoned by grace. Again, the scandal of Christianity. I don't earn salvation. You and I are pardoned by grace, but we're also empowered by grace. And Wesley talks about prevenient grace or preventing grace and convicting grace and justifying grace and sanctifying grace. And there's arguments about what those things are and what they mean and what they do. But I like what Steve Deneff said, Crouching Tiger, you know. He said, the real debate has never been about how many works of grace there are, but over what grace can do once we fully cooperate and whether or not this can happen in our lifetime. That's the real discussion, he says. And this is expressed so well in Titus chapter 2. And Paul is ending this, this chapter by saying, these are the things you should teach. But he says this in verse 11, for the grace of God, for the grace of God brings salvation to everyone. And this grace is training us. It is teaching us to renounce impiety and worldly passions and to live upright, godly lives in this present age. This grace is actually an educator. <laughs> it's teaching us and it's empowering us to live upright, godly lives in this present age. Not when we die and we get zapped by a holiness laser, but right now to live empowered lives in this present age. And I actually think this helps us to make sense of Romans 5 and 6, and 7 and 8 for that matter. Romans 5, right? There's no sin that aboundeth where grace does not aboundeth all the more. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. Thank goodness. That is so bad that won't be covered, more than covered, overflowing with God's grace. Nothing. However, in chapter 6, Paul is anticipating a statement the hearers would make based upon hearing that. Oh, so can I sin then so that grace abounds all the more? And Paul says, no, <laughs> no, you died to sin. 
How can you live in that any longer? Later in the chapter, they say, should I sin? Because we're not under the law. We're under grace. Paul says, no, you don't get it. By no means. You were given grace so that you would not have to live in sin. Grace is power. Grace is pardon. Grace is power. And you've heard me say this before. People need to see this power. People need to see this grace. I was just interviewed for a video, and I was asked about you all, Gen Z, our students during the services we had last month. And I said, to see the way that they were responding and to see this holy symmetry where these students were coming up to staff and to faculty and administrators and saying, can I pray for you? Can I be the spiritual authority? Can I show you the standard for praying at an altar and for confessing and making a life-altering commitment and testifying unto the, God, unto the Lord's work and to commission and go out and share that story? I said, there is no propositional argument I could ever make that could convince people to do that. There is no incentive. There's no inspired speech. That's you. That's power. And that power itself is a testimony to the rest of the world. Your generation will be a testimony to others. Your generation right now, what you're doing, what people have seen is a testimony to others. And let our lives, Lord, be a testimony. Because I've said this before, people aren't looking at you and I. They're not looking at the church and saying, what do you believe? What does the Bible say? They're asking a different question now. They're asking, does it work? They're not asking if Christianity is true. They're asking a different question. Is it good? Is it good? They're not asking what we believe. They're asking, do you even believe what you believe? People need to see power. They don't need to hear my argument. They need to see power. They need to see change. And humbly, when I describe last month, I tell people what you saw was a generation that is disillusioned and dissatisfied with the scripts that have been handed to them because they want something real and genuine and authentic. That's what they want. I've said this before, this bumper sticker. Actually, I've not seen it around lately, so maybe, maybe, maybe they stopped printing it. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Have you seen that? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. I actually think that's a really unhelpful slogan. I actually think most bumper stickers are, but that's just me. It's bad theology. It says that grace pardons, but it doesn't empower. You and I are just the same world, but I'm forgiven, and you're not. Uh, it just says that grace pardons. It doesn't speak to its empowering function. But you know what? That's not what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible talks about something different. That's not the lived experience of the church. And I'm talking about grace to forgive someone who has wronged you or hurt you. That's hard. Grace to not live in fear about the future. Grace to overcome addiction, to learn to trust again, to experience other-centered love, to will the good of someone else. Grace to lay down your own interests for the interests of others. Grace is power. 
And the world needs to see that kind of grace. The world needs to see empowered Christians. Last, grace begets grace. (laughs) Related to God's kindness, I would suggest that you and I all need to have a fuzzy sense of justice. Now, let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, first, what is justice? The, the classical definition, literally, uh, comes from Plato's Republic. Justice is to render unto each their due. It's to give people what they deserve. And, and there's a sense of this that relates to distribution, and there's a sense of this that relates to retribution. But the substantive question that we've talked about for several thousand years and still talk about today, okay, what does someone deserve? Now, ancient thinkers associated justice with proportion. Who deserves the flute? The flute player, because they're proportionate. And and modern justice uh, really carries more of an idea of fairness and impartiality and neutrality and equality. Think of Lady Justice, remember, blindfolded, holding a sword in one hand, scales in the other, right? It's it's the personification of justice. And it's saying justice is blind, it's equal, and it's swiftly executed. It's impartial and swiftly executed. But here's the thing. In the Christian faith tradition, in our world of justice, determining what someone deserves, we are called to something very different, something really radical. We're called to love the unlovely. Jesus actually talks about, no, don't like your neighbors, love them. Uh, I'm sorry, your enemies. Love your enemies. Go the extra mile. Turn the extra cheek. If someone asks for your tunic, give them an extra one. Give the benefit of the doubt. This is uh, what what the theologian Emil Bruner called justice as righteousness. Aquinas said, at the end of God's justice is charity. Remember uh, Les Mis? I hope you all have either read the book or seen one of the movies. Amazing story. And Inspector Javert, right? Uh, It's not that he was unjust. He was only just. That was his problem. He was all justice. And he's contrasted in the story with Jean Valjean, who experienced mercy and therefore was merciful toward other people. In this sense, people of faith should have a fuzzy sense of justice because you and I are all recipients of God's grace. I heard someone say, which of us will stand before God and say, I demand justice? I won't. (laughs) None of us will. Uh, We don't want God's justice because God has given us his grace. In Christ, we've all received something we don't deserve grace. And we've all been saved from something we do deserve, mercy. Now, grace says that God has been generous to us. And giving and generosity, I I don't think these things are actually confusing. I think the confusing part, the real crux comes to why should I give? And there's this really fascinating passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul is kind of bragging about the Macedonians. Look how generous the Macedonians are. Wow. They, they give everything. They go above and beyond. They are so happy to give. What's interesting, though, after that passage, you, you would think that Paul is going to say, Church of Corinth, you need to be more like those Macedonians. Kind of like, like, you should be more like your older brother or sister. That's not what he says. 
Here's what he says. I'm not commanding you. I'm not telling you what to do. But you know the grace, the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. In other words, Paul is not directly commanding the church to be like the Macedonians and emulate their abundant giving practices. Rather, he is just simply reminding them of what God gave to them. By the way, remember what Jesus did for you. I'll just share that with you. And if we've been the recipients of God's generosity, generosity, we should be generous towards others. And let me just humbly say, there may not be a concept more serious than that in the New Testament. Have you ever read those passages that really startle you? One of those for me is Matthew 18, uh, the, the unforgiving servant. Remember the servant and the master and the servant owes gobs of money to the master. It's a lot of money. And the master gives him mercy, forgives this huge debt. And then the servant amongst their servants uh, will not forgive their very small and petty debt. And so those servants go to the master and say, this person who is forgiven a huge debt by you will not forgive a small debt to us. And here's how the passage ends. In his anger, the Lord, the master, handed him over to be tortured until he would pay the entire debt. So my heavenly father, Jesus is saying, will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now that doesn't mean God is a torturer. It does mean we should take very seriously the fact that we've been forgiven and that we have a responsibility to advance that generosity towards others. This is what Jesus is inviting us to in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. God takes this very seriously. Our love, our charity is at its greatest, it's at its most natural expression when it begins with a clear understanding of the love and the grace that's been shown to us. All right, so let me, let me wrap this up. We're sinful, we're in need of God's grace, and as an unmerited gift and favor unto us, we've been extended grace because of Jesus Christ. That is, that's the scandal of Christianity. Uh, we didn't earn our salvation, it's a gift. You heard it read earlier. Ephesians 2, 8, for, the, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that you can't boast about earning your salvation. However, that does not mean that God's grace does not beget action. God's grace is meant to be received as a kind act of God. It's meant to compel you and I to repent. It's meant to empower us and pardon us, and to beget us to extend grace to our fellow man. Let me just end with this. When others see God's grace in our lives, they should see the character of God. When others see God's grace in our lives, they should see God's character, a God who is kind 
A God who is kind. A God who is loving. A theologian said, love by its nature seeks to expand its own communion. God is constantly expanding his own communion because God doesn't just love. God is love. A God who is fully just, mishpat, and a God who is fully love, hesed. Someone asked me once, what kind of God would be fully just and fully loving? And I said, the kind of God that would commit the death penalty unto you because you deserve it and then stand in your place. And a God who is generous. When others see God's grace in our lives, let them see that power, let them see that action, and let it ultimately point to the character of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these students. Thank you, Lord, that their best argument, their best testimony for the Christian faith, for the kingdom ethic, for your glory, was not an articulate argument, but a life lived well. The power that was evident to others through your grace. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for what Jesus did. But Father, I pray that we wouldn't simply receive this gift, but Lord, that it would empower us. And in our action, in our repentance, in living upright, godly lives in this present age, in extending generosity and forgiveness to others, Lord, I pray that ultimately those things would demonstrate not just the power of grace, but also, Lord, the character of you. Please be present on this campus, Lord. Be present among us. Be present with these students. And we pray these things in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Thank you.